but because of today being Super Bowl Sunday, we're starting this new series called Huddle. Now, next week, things will be kind of back to normal dress-wise, but the idea is that how many know that it's important to huddle together? What is the definition of the word huddle? It means to draw close to one another. We all need huddles in life. And so today we've kind of huddled, we've kind of gathered in his name. And, and I realized I had somebody tell me that, that, hey, the shirt you're wearing has nothing to do with the Super Bowl. I know I'm being prophetic for next year. That's right. <laughs> There's a young naval officer that was given the task He'd gone through all the training. He'd had all the simulations. He'd done all the things. But he was given the task of pulling the ship that he was assigned to out of the docks to disembark with all the things, giving giving the orders, uh, steering the ship out, getting it out of the harbor and into the open sea. And he had never ever done it before. So you can imagine the way that he must have felt all that pressure of that much machinery, that much firepower, all that entails with that of getting it safely out of the dock and into the ocean for its voyage. So he studied. I mean, he had all, I mean, by the book, he had every step memorized. He went over again and again and again. He replayed it in his mind again and again. And finally, the day came that it was time for the ship to disembark. So he took his place on the bridge and he began to give out the orders and begin to take the steps and one by one, sure enough, every time he got one done, the second one came to memory and he walked through it. I mean, he flawlessly walked through everything and finally the ship got underway and it got out of the out of the harbor it got into the ocean and they set their cruising speed and he was so relieved that he had pulled this thing off flawlessly matter of fact it was so flawlessly that the bridge rang and the captain buzzed in and the captain wanted to speak to him what a moment for a young man for the captain of the ship to want to congratulate him and sure enough the captain's voice comes over the speaker and congratulates him on a flawless job of getting the ship disembarked He says, but young man, one of the things they do not teach you in school, this kind of an unwritten law that I think you need to know. He was like, what in the world did I miss? I did everything just like I was supposed to. He said, in the future, make sure the captain is actually on board before you disembark. See, the truth is, life can be very difficult to navigate. As we walk through this life, there's dangers on every side. There's things that we face everywhere we turn. This life isn't easy. But one of the gifts that God has given us to help us through this process, I thank God for his presence. I thank God for all, I thank for his spirit. I thank you for his salvation, all the things that he's given. But one of the things that I'm thankful for is the huddles that he's given us. He's given us family huddles. He's given us marriage huddles. He's given us church huddles. He's given us various groups that we can come together. We can huddle together and we can discuss things. We can spur one another on. We can encourage one another. And we're not supposed to go through this life alone. 
Yes, we have the Lord with us, but we need those around us that we can trust on. We need those huddles in life. Hebrews 10.25 puts it this way. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Can I tell you, as pastor, one of the things that I hate to see is sometimes I see things that people face in life. And trust me, I am for you. I pray, your names are called out in prayer more than you think. If you get a text message or something from me, it's because God has laid you on my mind and I'm thinking about you. And I've learned that in those moments, not to just say, well, Lord, I, Lord be with them today, but to also shoot a little something that says, hey, I prayed for you this morning. Hey, I was thinking about you. Because what does our enemy love to do? He loves to remove us from the huddles in life that he has given us. He loves to isolate us. He loves to get us out by ourselves so that he can play his mental games and he can work on us and he can wear us down. It's the same strategy that you see. Have you ever watched the nature nature shows? Where when people are in a herd, they've got protection. But there's always one that gets scared when the enemy starts to, the predator starts to roam around and they, and they take off and run and get out by themselves and they're the ones that usually get themselves eaten. But the truth is, how often as people do we break cuddle? How often do we disembark without the captain on board in our lives? Or we break cuddle without the captain. You know, later today, there's going to be a game that's going to take place tonight. The wrong teams are there, but that's okay. I knew that would get a response. But, but it'll be taking place, and, I, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but with this idea of huddle, I want us to get this picture. Tonight... We're going to see multiple times after almost every play, there's going to be a group. They're going to get together. They're going to discuss the strategy for the next play, and they're going to break huddle. They're going to go execute it. Now, here's the deal. Yes, they're talking about what they're going to do in that moment, but every one of those is designed to lead them to the ultimate goal of winning the championship. We, too, have an ultimate goal. God has given us a promised land. He's given us a place that he desires for us to go, a future that he has for us, a preferred future, and it's there for the taking. But yet so many times we huddle. We get together with our families, but too many times we get up and we break huddle in the morning and we go and we haven't made sure that the captain's on board. And we're just, we're just calling plays. We're just coming up with strategies just to get through the day. And we don't even get thought, give thought to the ultimate goal that we're trying to fulfill. The fulfillment of that promised land, the fulfillment of that purpose. Every day should move us a little closer to the promise. So I've given today's message the title, Our Captain. Because it seems fitting this morning that if we're looking deeper into this encounter, this idea of huddle, and we look into Scripture, I begin to think of what captains are in Scripture. And my mind kind of went to a place that I didn't expect it to go, and I ended up in Joshua chapter 5. 
want you to imagine with me for just a moment of what it must have been like for Joshua. Joshua had been the second in command for a long time, but, but Moses passes on and he's given the place of being, being the leader of this whole nation that God through miraculous ways had set free and brought them out of captivity and, and brought them and began to take them towards the promised land and they messed up and they had to wait for 40 years and, and finally Moses passes away and Joshua's the leader and here he is about to lead the people into the promised land, the thing that they've waited and waited and waited for. So I have no doubt that he was concerned. Because imagine, the year is approximately 1450 B.C. And I just picture in my mind Joshua going for a walk. Because they've just crossed over the Jordan River. And they're on the other side. Scripture tells us that God had fed them by manna all the way up to that point when they crossed over the other side and they had their first meal in Canaan. Tasting from the fruits of the promised land, the manna stops. Now they have to take possession of what God has given them. And I've preached this before, but it wasn't by accident that they got led them across the Jordan River right in front of the biggest, baddest obstacle there is, Jericho. He didn't say, hey, let's cross over here and go take AI. The town's so small that the sign only had letter, room for two letters. Let's take on Jericho. And so I have no doubt in my mind that, that here's Joshua, he's thinking about this. He knows that he's got to come up with a strategy. He knows that that's the next thing they've got to do. So I don't know about you, I can have all the faith in the world, but if I know that I'm facing a big day and a big time like that, and we're about to do battle with the enemy, there's something that makes sleep a little hard to come by at times. And so I just picture him getting up and going out for a walk and separating himself from, because they've got to take on this incredible place. They have to take on Jericho. Jericho was a stronghold. Jericho had, had walls that were 30 feet high. But it wasn't just one wall, it was two walls. They had a 30-foot high wall that was approximately six foot deep, there was a space between, there was a second set of walls that were 30 feet high and 12 foot thick, and they were intersecting walls spaced out between that connected the two, the whole idea being that if somebody broke, were to break through one wall, they would find themselves boxed in on three sides and just be a target. In other words, Jericho was one of the first that had a zone defense. The idea was to trap them in a zone. So this is what they're going up against. And you can imagine Joshua in his mind, he has faith. He was one of the ones that says, we can do it. He was one of the ones that said they could do it 40 years ago. But it's different now. Now he's the leader. Now he's the one that's got to give the orders. Now he's the one that has to hear and give the orders. And so I imagine him just out walking around and trying to figure out what he's going to do because now it's show me time. It's one thing to say, oh, 40 years ago, he said, we can do it. When everybody's saying, no, they're too big, there's no way we can do it. He said, we can do it. With God's with us, we can do anything. And he was right, but now it's on the moment. Now it's put up time. 
And so there he is. See, the truth is we too have a goal to reach. We too have obstacles that are in our way. And so many times we're wondering how we're going to make it through the next day to the next thing. But we can never take our eyes off the goal that matters the most. Sometimes it means that there's a stronghold in the way. Sometimes there is something that has to be tore down before we can break through to the promises of God. And too many times we back away from the stronghold instead of seeing what God would have us to do. So to me, in those times when we face those moments, we're facing something spiritually like, like Joshua was about to face physically, what do we do? Well, first of all, we have to get settled in our hearts. The answer to this question, are you for us? my first point. Are you for us? We have to settle. Is he for us in our daily battles? Is he? Because we better have that settled beforehand. You probably noticed something, or at least I've noticed it, that the Jerichos in our lives don't usually come when things have been laid back for a while. When we're coasting along, and man, there's just blessing on every side, and God usually doesn't come along and say, hey, I just want you to know, enjoy this season right now, because there's something coming on the horizon that you're going to have to face. I'm giving you a fair warning. I'm giving you six months to pray over this, and to prepare for this, and get your plans together. No, that's usually not how it works. Usually, you're just picking yourself up. You just brush yourself. You're still in the process of trying to, to heal from the wounds of the previous battle. And just when you think you're about to get some strength back and stuff, you get hit with another battle that seems bigger than the one before. Just when you said, I can't take another thing, you find out there is another thing. And so, how do you respond in those moments when you're facing yet another battle for your life? So I picture in my mind that all these things are on his mind as he's walking. He's now the leader. And everyone's looking to him for the answers. And they're stepping over, going to take this land. And he's got faith, but faith is one thing, but knowing exactly what to do in those moments is another. And people are looking at him. And God's already shown that it's with him. I I love the parallels between what happened between him and Moses. You see, see Moses got the burning bush and and God told him he was standing on holy ground. You have all these things you see. And and God used Moses to part the Red Sea and then cross over. And we find out if you read the story that at this point, Joshua has already crossed over the Jordan into the promised land. That God has led him there. And, and God even showed up in power. God parted it just like before. And it's interesting, though, that if you read it, it says that God parted the waters and they crossed over during flood season. Isn't that the way God does things? He doesn't wait till it's drought season. Okay, cross now. Come on. He likes for us to be able to look at the circumstance and say, it's time to go now. We're like, but Lord, couldn't there be a better time than this? 
And I love the part of the story is that he tells those that are carrying the ark, he says, I want you to walk down and basically says, I'm not going to part it until they get their feet wet. How many times before we step into a battle, we face something like, okay, God, I'll do this, but I need you to do this. I need the ground to be dry. I need there to be signs that says this way, this way, this way. And we want everything laid out for us. And God says, no, just trust me. Follow what I'm telling you to do. Step out and get your feet wet. And then I'll part it. So he's already done that. They're on the other side. And so you might think he's riding a little bit of a, a wave, a little bit of a high there, but he gets on the other side and God gives him some very interesting instructions to follow that. He says, oh, by the way, all these fighting men that have grown over this last 40 years, there's one covenant thing that they haven't done they need to take care of before they go to battle. I need you to have all the men circumcised before they go to battle. That's probably not going to make a leader very popular. I'm just saying. But they did, so you can imagine he's having this moment. And then we read in Joshua 5.13. So I wanted you to get the picture as he's walking and he's, he's mulling all these things in his mind. In John 5.13 it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? If we're honest, we've all asked that question. Lord, are you for us? Lord, are you for me? Are you for my enemy? Now that may sound sacrilegious to you, but at some level we've all asked that question at some point. At some point, we said, Lord, are you really for me? Because right now, from my perspective, it looks kind of like you're playing for the other team. Because things ain't going right. I know I use wrong English, but that's okay. You see what I'm saying? We have those moments that God, it doesn't really look like you're for me. Are you for me or are you for the other side? And in those moments, we have to bring ourselves to this point. The real, and I want you to write this down. The real question isn't, are you for us? The correct question is, who is the captain? Who's in charge? Who is the captain? Who's really in charge? Who, or who have you allowed to be in charge? See, the truth is there's always somebody in charge. But the question is, who's leading you? What voice are you listening, lead, listening to? And where's the destination they're taking you? Let's look at verse 14. Neither, he replied, but the commander of the army of the Lord, as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Before we get into the rest of that, I want to stop with it and look at that first word. Lord, are you for us or are you against us? And his answer is neither. 
what kind of an answer is that? Think about it. Are you friend or foe? Are you for me or against me? And he gives the answer, neither. Neither. I'm about to break cuddle and take this whole nation to battle against the biggest, baddest foe. I'm trying to come up with a strategy. I'm trying to figure out what to do because whatever I do, it could cost people their lives. I don't want to make a mistake. And I'm asking, are you for me? Are you for my enemy? And your answer is neither. I mean, come on, I've been faithful for years. I was one of only two of the spies that went in and checked this place out before. Me and Caleb, we had it right. We said, God is able, let's do this. And everybody else was doubting. I've been waiting for 40 years for this moment. And I ask if you're with me and the answer is neither. I need some assurance here. Neither, really? How many have ever been there? But I love what he does. He identifies himself as the commander, or in some translations, the captain of the Lord's army. But his answer is neither. Lord, whose side are you on here? Neither. Lord, I'm not feeling very encouraged here. Lord, I really need some leadership. And I believe that's when he looks at us and gives us a smile and says, exactly. Because what we're doing is we're asking the wrong question. See, what Joshua needed to get was not for or against, but who's the captain? Who have Who and what have we given charge? And he needed to understand who this captain was. And Joshua wasn't sure at first. And many times, if we're honest, we're not either. We need to stop and say, who is the captain? Who's in charge? I was doing some reading and I ran across a little illustration that Alton Garrison, our assistant superintendent of the Assemblies of God, used. And, and I, it's not exactly scriptural, but I figure if he can get away with it, I can get away with it. But I want you to picture something with me. It's not, it's not anti-scripture, but it's just taking some thoughts and extrapolating a little bit. We know that Jesus gave his life on the cross, right? We know that as he was hanging on the cross, there's another thief that was hanging there beside him. And the thief said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus made this statement, I promise you today you will be with me in paradise. So I want you to picture with me just a little hypothetical situation. I want you to picture Jesus after he rose from the grave, after, after he went into paradise. There being a gathering there. It's called paradise, and in some translations, it's referred to as Abraham's bosom. But this, this place, and I want you to picture some of the, the biblical heroes of the Old Testament there. And we know for a fact that Jesus at times showed up and talked to somebody, and he didn't allow them to recognize who he was. 
So I just want you to picture Jesus walking up on this discussion of some of the saints that had gone on before, some of the ones that had been faithful, and him going up and beginning to have a conversation with them, not knowing who he is. Just let's play with that for just a moment. I can just see him walking up to this group and beginning to speak and talk to them and say, hey guys, you know what's, what's going on? It's neat to see all of you here. I was curious, what are you guys talking about? And what are you standing here waiting for? I can see Moses say, oh, I'm waiting for the one that the Holy Spirit used me to pin the word years ago, told the story how even after man fell, he said, I'm sending one that's going to crush the head of the serpent. I'm waiting on him. I can see Abel speaking up in that moment and saying, oh, you've been waiting. (laughs) I've been here a long, long time. I was the one that got the sacrifice right, remember? I've been waiting to see the ultimate result of the lamb to take care of sin once and for all. I'm waiting to meet the sacrificed lamb of God. See, Abraham saying, you know what? I wrote about it. He's going to be the city with the foundations who architect and builder is God. I can see Daniel saying, you know, there was this time I got thrown into the lion's den. And man, I thought I was gone for sure. But there was somebody that came and shut the mouth of the lion. I want to see the finished work. I'm waiting on him. I can imagine Shadrach saying, oh man, you, you want to hear a story? Man, we were, we, we were, we didn't bow down. We were told to, we stood up for our God and we said, even our God is able to save us. And even if he doesn't, we still won't bow. And they threw us into this fiery furnace. There was three of us that hit the ground but there was four of us down in there. And even the king himself says the fourth one looks like the son of God. He says, I'm waiting for him to come back. I want to walk with him again. Then I picture Joshua speaking up. He says, guys, one day, right before the battle of Jericho, the night before that big battle, I was walking along and there was a captain that appeared and he had his sword drawn and he spoke to me and he gave me the plan that led to victory and I'm looking to see the captain of the Lord of hosts again. See what we have to understand is Jesus is the captain of the Lord's army. We need to understand that there is more for us than against us. We need to understand that this king is in command of the host of the Lord's army. Scripture itself says that even as he hung on the cross, that he could have called a legion of angels to rescue him. Think about that power. Matter of fact, think about the story of Elisha. I don't have a lot of time to spend a whole lot of time on this story, but it's it's one of my favorite stories, especially as a kid. I thought it was the coolest story. 
Because here's Elisha, the, the king Ram was coming at them and, and was trying to destroy Israel at every turn. God was giving to Elisha exactly what was going to happen next. And he would go to Israel's commander and say, okay, they're, they've made it a strategy. They're going to attack over here. And so they would attack and they would find that, that Israel's army was already there and already prepared. And, I mean, he was being beat at every turn. He's like, it is like someone, King Ram said, it's like someone is in my private bedroom knowing everything I've talked about. And finally, somebody spoke up and said, you know what? Well, there is a man of God. And God is telling him what you're doing. So he finds out what town he's in. And he sends a whole army to surround the town. And as he surrounds the town, I don't know what was going on, but just the way my mind works, I picture his servant getting up. And you imagine one whole army to capture one guy. And I just picture his servant getting up in the morning and stepping out on the front porch to grab the newspaper. <laughs> and he looks up and he sees we encamped all around about. He had his moment where he went back and he told his master, we gonna die. <laughs> Let me know that in every movie there's always one of those guys. This is it, we gonna die. And so he goes back, and he tells Elisha that. And what does Elisha do? Elisha says, Lord, show him. There's more for us than there is against us. And the Lord opened his eyes and realized that there was a multitude of angelic beings and chariots and all the stuff around about that vastly outnumbered what the enemy had against them. See, we forget that. Sometimes we think the enemy has so much power. And I'm not saying that he doesn't have power. All I'm saying is he got a third of the angels. That means Jesus has two-thirds. Not to mention he himself is king of kings and lord of lords. He by himself is enough. But we get so caught up and we think we're so overpowered and we become so downcast. We need to realize that there is more for us than who is against us. And so imagine... But here's, here's Joshua, and he's standing there, and then he gets this answer, are you for us or against us? And the answer's neither, but neither is the right answer. Because the question isn't, are you for us or for our enemy? The question is, are we on the right side? That's why he said neither, He could have said, it depends. Who's your captain? Verse 15. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So what do we need to do? We need to give honor due. After giving honor due, the plan of attack was given. Not before. I mean, no, too often we want it the other way around. Well, Lord, give me the plan. Let me see if I approve it. Right? But he gave honor due first. It was after this point that the, that 
the captain begins to lay out here is the battle plan. See, what do we do? We, we, we want to know first if he's on our side. And really what we're saying when we ask that question, are you on our side? We're, saying, we're basically saying, Lord, here's my huddle. If you're on our side, come over here and get in my huddle. It's saying, instead of saying, Lord, can I huddle with you? This is your huddle. You're the one that's in charge. You're the captain. And let me tell you something. He won't huddle if he's not in charge. He won't huddle with you if he's not in charge. You want him in the huddle? When he steps in, he's the boss. And too many times we want to make it the other way. The real question isn't, are you for us? The correct question is, who is the captain? And what does Jesus say in this situation? He says, wrong question, my friend. You are here to decide whether you're for or against me. You don't believe I'm telling the truth? Matthew 12, 30, Jesus himself said this. He who is not with me is against me, and who does not gather with me scatters. So the real question is, are we friend or foe? Some of you are here today, and you've been facing massive walls and barriers and things that are obstructing your way. But the same battle plan works for us. We need to get on the captain's side. We need to give him the honor due him. We need to follow his instructions even when they sound stupid. I used that word one time in children's church and somebody, I heard some kids go, oh, he said the S word. We don't use that word around here, yeah. But what do we do? We, we get in those situations and we, and sometimes we, he gives us instructions. We're like, I mean, can you imagine military mind Joshua? Here's the plan. Oh, this is going to be good. Get together and walk around the city and go back to camp. And then the next day, get up, walk around the city, go back to camp. And then the next day, seven times. And then on the seventh day, walk around it seven times. And then blast the trumpet, let out a shout, celebrate the victory before it happens. And I will give you the city. But how many times does God, does our captain, give us a plan that doesn't make sense to us and we're like, that's ridiculous, and we walk away? You know what we've done in those moments? We've waved by to the victory. It was that close. Think about that. I want, you, I want you to picture the victory that they were given because they did what was said and God did an incredible work. 
we had the privilege of going and seeing Jericho. And, you know, you, I, don't, I don't know what we pictured. I don't know what we thought we were going to see. But we're like, cool, we're going to Jericho. We're going to see where Joshua and the children of Israel ran around the building and the walls came down and God and the people went in and took the city. And, and we're thinking, and we pull up and there's signs, you know, here it is and all this stuff. And you pull in and all it is is an eight-acre pile of rubble and dirt. There's nothing there. But picture the walls that I described earlier. I don't know what we expected to see, but seeing that stronghold still laying there as a pile of dirt and mud and stuff is pretty cool. Because they followed God's directions. They put the captain in charge, and God gave them an incredible victory. You know what's interesting? Archaeologists have discovered that the walls of Jericho, when they fell, they fell outwards. So Israel didn't push the walls in. Jesus gave the order, and the angels pushed the walls out. I don't know. I just picture Jesus looking at the angels saying, tear down that wall. Let me say this, obedience and worship and obedience in battle will bring down walls. I'm going to close with this and then we're going to pray. Because Jesus is the captain of our salvation. And we better make sure the captain... Hebrews 2.10, for it's written from... For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of, thou, of their salvation perfect through sufferings. He paid the price. If anybody deserves to be captain, it's him. He's got the battle scars to prove it. All he's waiting on is for you. And he's turning the question back on us today. Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And he's waiting on your answer. Who is the captain of your huddle? Who's the captain? Because that determines everything. We can have our plans, we can have our directions, we can have our aspirations, we can have all these things. But when you break cuddle in the mornings, when you break cuddle on Sundays, when you break cuddle with your small group or whatever groups you gather together with, if he's not the captain, then your plans are faulty.